Well, it is a privilege to be back in the book of 2 Timothy. Um, when I preached 2 Timothy two weeks ago, I preached a, ter- a sermon entitled, Never Be Ashamed of Our Lord. Never Be Ashamed of Our Lord. And we looked at verses 8 through 12. And I just want to read from 8 to 12, and then I'll read again from 13 to 18. But in verse 8, Paul told Timothy, he said, Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul told Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord, nor of Paul, who was in prison at the time. But he said, share in suffering, enter into this suffering with me, Timothy, But know that you can't do this in your own strength and in your own might. It's only by the power of God. And he goes on in verse 9 to say, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our own works, but because of his own purpose and grace. He did it for his good pleasure. By his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began, before the foundation of the world, he had chose us to be in Christ. And he says in verse 10, in which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. For which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But he says, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. I love how he says, I know in whom I have believed. Paul didn't just believe in facts about the gospel. Yes, he believed in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and all the facts we see in Scripture. But he says, I know in whom I have believed. He believed in the person of Jesus. When we are saved, it's not just by believing in facts, but it's by believing in a person. Christ is who saves. And he says, I know <laughs> whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Then he says in verse 13, follow the pattern of the sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Homogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains." But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. 
and you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. As I said in in previous weeks when I preached on this passage, Paul is writing this letter to his beloved son in the faith, Timothy. This is a farewell letter. Um, If you can turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4, kind of gives you some context of where Paul is at and what is happening and what's going on. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, starting at verse 8, or matter of fact, let's read from verse 6. He says, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, There is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Hallelujah. Now we see that Paul is pretty clear here in knowing that he's not going to... go on from prison this time. Uh, There's times where he was locked up in prison and he kind of had confidence that he was going to get out and continue to preach the gospel. But we see here that he's pretty confident that this is going to be the last time he's in prison because he's going to die. He's about to be poured out as a drink offering. And sure enough, um, he's martyred for the gospel. So this is the context. He's inside of this cold prison cell, this stinky prison cell, as a criminal, as one in chains. And he's been constantly encouraging his son in the faith to be a bold witness for Jesus, to proclaim the gospel without shrinking back, to suffer for the gospel, to remain faithful with the gospel. And we see in verse 13, he tells Timothy, follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. In the first part of verse 13, Paul tells Timothy what he is supposed to follow. And in the second part of this verse, he tells Timothy how he is supposed to follow it. So the first part of this verse, he tells Timothy what he is supposed to follow. And then the second part of this verse, he tells Timothy how he is supposed to follow it. He tells Timothy, hold fast and be faithful to the gospel. So here's a question that must be asked. What are the sound words that Paul is talking about. What are these sound words that Timothy heard from Paul? 1 Timothy 6, 3 and 4 reads this. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and a teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit, 
and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. So he calls these sound words the teaching of Christ in 1 Timothy 6, 3, and 4. And then we see in Acts 18.5 where Silas and Timothy are traveling with the Apostle Paul. And um, it talks about how they arrived to Macedonia. And it says that Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that, that the Christ was Jesus. So these sound words is the gospel of Jesus Christ. These sound words is sound doctrine, sound teaching, the, the, the gospel of Jesus. So Paul says in the beginning of verse 13, follow the pattern of sound words. It can also be translated hold, hold fast to the pattern of sound words. Keep a hold of the sound words. He's telling Timothy to hold fast to the sound words. Hold fast to the gospel. Follow the pattern that you have heard when it comes to the sound doctrine of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Don't dilute the gospel of Jesus Christ. Continue to tell people that Jesus is the only way to God. Continue to tell people about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Continue to tell people that Jesus is God. Be faithful to the sound words. So he tells Timothy what to be faithful to, and then he tells Timothy how he's supposed to be faithful to the sound words. Timothy's conduct and how he shared the truth was just as important as what he shared. He says, follow the pattern of sound words you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. How many people do we know who are doctrinally precise but arrogant and harsh? They share truth in such a way as if they're trying to beat people over the head with a Bible. But it's not done in compassion and love. He says, do this in faith in the Lord that you believe and in love, Timothy. It's not just about sharing truth, but it's how you share it. And I'm not talking about... um, Someone who has to rebuke false teachers sharply. There's a place for that. But I'm talking about the individual who is precise in their doctrine, but lacks love when it comes to people. Y'all remember what Corinthians says. Paul said, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels and have not love, I am a noisy gong and a clinging cymbal. If I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. 
if I give away and deliver my body up to be burned and have not love, I am nothing. He's like, man, you could even give your body up to die, but if you have not love, you are nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love does not envy. It does not boast. It is not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but it rejoices in truth. Love bears all things. Love believes all things. Love endures all things. Love never ends. So God was concerned not only with what Timothy shared, but how Timothy shared it. And it's the same exact way with us, ARC. May we be a people who share the truth, as the Bible says, in love. In love, by his grace. By his grace. So he says in verse 14, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you, Timothy. So he says, guard the good deposit. So here's the question, what is the deposit? Well, it's the gospel. We see that um, in, verse, in verse 13, I pointed out that the sound words was the gospel. We see a summary of the gospel in verses 9 and 10, where it says, Who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ before the ages began, and which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Jesus Christ, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So the sound words is the gospel. The good deposit that Paul tells Timothy to, to grip, to hold on to, to guard, is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Timothy 6.20, and this is 1 Timothy 6.20, you can even look at it if you want to. This is at the very, this is the very last chapter of 1 Timothy 6, um, in verses 20 and 21. He uses the same words. He says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. So he says, there's people who have swerved from the faith. They didn't guard this deposit. They swerved from the faith. But you guard this deposit. In the midst of false teachers, guard this deposit. In the midst of heresy, guard this deposit. In the midst of suffering, guard this gospel. This gospel that you preach not only will save others, but holding on to the truth saves you. And this is huge because how many preachers do we know started off preaching a pure gospel, but as time went on, their message started to be diluted. 
and some have even swerved away from the faith. How many mission agencies do we know started off doctrinally sound, preaching Christ and him crucified, and then they swerved from the truth? How many Christian rappers do we know started off preaching the gospel unashamedly and then swerved from the truth? Some even have walked away. He's like Timothy Guard this good deposit entrusted to you. Guard this truth. Let me see if I can illustrate this. So this is not a real football. Um, this is my son's football. I actually grabbed this out the trunk because I just thought it would be a good illustration to help illustrate this. Right? So a quarterback, when he says hike and he gets ready to give the ball to the running back, he hands it to the running back, and when the running back gets the ball, he doesn't hold the ball up like this and go to the opposing team and hand it to them. It's not what he does. Or he doesn't hold the ball like this and run, holding the ball like this. He'll get smacked out of his hand. But when the quarterback gives the running back the football, the running back takes the ball and he caves it into his chest. He buries it in his chest. And he does anything and everything he can do to guard this football. When the, uh, when the opposing team tries to come, he guards it. He guards it with everything he has. And in the same exact way, we are called to guard the gospel entrusted to us. We are called to hold onto it, to, to grip onto it with dear life because it is life and it's far greater than a football. This is the gospel of salvation, the gospel that changes and transforms and saves and has called us out of darkness into God's marvelous light. This is the gospel that when we preach and proclaim this gospel, God is pleased by the power of his Holy Spirit to convert people and transform them and make them new creatures in Christ. He says, guard this gospel. But notice this, and this is so key. We cannot do this on our own, and God doesn't expect us to. The very beginning of the verse says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. It's by God's Holy Spirit who dwells within us that we have the strength to guard the gospel. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit that God keeps us saved. We can't continue to guard this truth in our own strength and might, but it's by the power of God's Spirit and His Spirit alone. To God be the glory. As I was thinking about this, and just thinking of, you know, Phagellus and Hermogenes, how they walked away, and thinking of Onesiphorus, how he's a man who continued to be faithful, I thought about how it's been over 13 years now that I've been saved. And that's a miracle. For some of you, it's been longer. For some of you, it's been a year, and that's a miracle. For some of you, it may be six months, and that's a miracle. <laughs> but because of God's grace, you're here this morning worshiping the Lord, wanting to hear the truth, 
wanting to hear the gospel, wanting to sing praises to your Lord. That is all a work of his grace. So I should have gave you my outline in the very beginning. Um, first two verses <laughs> is he, he, tells, he tells Timothy, um, hold fast and be faithful to the gospel. It's the first two verses. Hold fast and be faithful to the gospel. The next verse, he gives Timothy examples of unfaithfulness. That's verse 15. He gives examples of unfaithfulness. And in the last verses, 16 through 18, he gives examples of faithfulness. So now let's look at the examples that he gives of unfaithfulness. In verse 15, he says, You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phagellus and Homogenes. So he takes the time to paint this picture for Timothy. He says these, um, he names these two people, Phagellus and Homogenes, who Timothy is familiar with. And he uses them as an example to point to what unfaithfulness looks like. So he says, all of Asia have turned from me. Now, what's crazy about this is in Acts 19, we see that many came to the Lord in Asia. Many came to the Lord. But here it is now as Paul is saying in verse 15, you are aware that all in Asia turned away from me. Now, this is hyperbole. Because Onesiphorus didn't turn away from Paul. Timothy didn't turn away from Paul. Onesiphorus' household didn't turn away from Paul or the gospel. But I think for Paul, he felt it so much that he words it and says it this way. Like, man, everyone's turned away from me. This is a man who poured his life into people. He loved them, cared for them gave his life for them, preached to them, discipled them, shepherded them, and there was many people in Asia who turned away from him, among who were Phagellus and Hermogenes. He takes the time to name these two people because these two people were probably key leaders who turned away from Paul, probably people who were causing havoc, and people who are leading other people astray. And he says, they turned away from me. Some commentators point out that to turn away from Paul meant that they were also turning away from the Lord. They weren't just turning away from Paul, but they were turning away from the Lord. They were ashamed of the gospel. Paul was locked in prison for the gospel. Remember, he says, this is why I suffer as I do. And then he tells Timothy, don't be ashamed of the Lord and don't be ashamed of me, his prisoner. Because there were so many people who were being persecuted for the gospel's sake. And because people were being thrown into prison, you had some people that when it came to living for Christ, they hit the eject button. And they were like, you know what? I'm ashamed of Paul. I don't want to identify myself with him. And there was others who were ashamed of Christ. Among those individuals were 
Phagellus, and Hermogenes. So you can only imagine Paul's pain. When you have poured your life into individuals and you deeply desire to see them standing around the throne of Christ and worshiping songs and saying, worthy is the Lamb. And you're looking forward to that day, but they turn, they turn, it breaks your heart. Later on, he talks about Demas, who who was in love with this world, who deserted him. It's only by the grace of God that we're not like Phagellus and Hermogenes. It's only by the grace of God that we do not desert Christ. Paul says, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It's only by his grace. So may we never get puffed up with pride because we have not been like Phagellus and Hermogenes. But the fact that we are in Christ loving Jesus, may that abase us and humble us and give praise to God for his grace that we have in turn from the gospel. In verses 16 through 18, Paul then gives examples of faithfulness. So he gave an example of unfaithfulness with those who have turned in Asia um, and Phagellus and Hermogenes. And then he gives an example of what faithfulness looks like. And he's telling Timothy, focus on this. Look at this example. I want to point you to this example, Onesiphorus's example. He was a faithful man of God. It says in verse 16, May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. Verse 17, But when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly and found me. So he says, may the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he often refreshed me. He could have just said he refreshed me, but he says he often refreshed me. There was this consistency in Paul being refreshed by Onesiphorus. And he says, he wasn't ashamed of my chains. So when he said to Timothy, don't be ashamed of the testimony of the Lord, nor of me as prisoner. An example of one who was not ashamed of him is Onesiphorus. He often came to Paul and refreshed him. And he was not ashamed of his chains. And look at what the, God, look at what the word of God says. It says that when he arrived in Rome, he searched for me earnestly until he found me. Paul was in a place that a lot of people would have not been able to find. He was in a place where many who searched for him would have probably gave up. They would have said, you know, I looked for Paul, but this has been taking a long time. I give up. At least I tried. But Onesiphorus, this was a faithful man who earnestly searched for Paul. He earnestly looked for him. He was knocking on doors and maybe some was rejecting him because he's trying to find out where Paul is, who was considered by many a criminal. So he was willing to identify himself with Paul. 
And because of that, he was putting his life in danger. Here it was, Paul was locked up for preaching the gospel. Here it is, Onesiphorus is trying to find him, probably asking a bunch of people. And because of that, I could see people giving him smirks like, why are you trying to find this dude who is a criminal? But he was a faithful man who loved Paul and sought for him earnestly, was even willing to put his life on the line in order to refresh Paul. He didn't just refresh Paul with some drinks or some food, but he refreshed him spiritually. He was someone who, who loved him in the midst of hard times. Proverbs 17, 17 comes to mind, where it says that um, a brother loves at all times, or a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So he didn't give up. And what a picture of what we see in Matthew 25, verses 34 through 40, where it says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, ye who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to see me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you have did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, this is so powerful because what this passage is pointing out is when Onesiphorus came to refresh Paul, he was refreshing Christ. That's powerful. As believers, how we treat one another is how we treat Christ. As believers, how we care for one another is how we care for Christ. As believers, as we love one another is, is how we love Christ because Christ so identifies himself with the body that when we visit someone in prison like Onesiphorus did or give someone a drink or feed them, someone who is hungry, who's in the body of Christ, it's as if we did it to Jesus. Now, let that be the thing that motivates us towards good works. Jesus not because we're supposed to do it, but because of who we are in Jesus. And as believers who have been transformed by the grace of God, our impulse should be to move in directions of love, like Onesiphorus. So he says, Timothy, 
Here's bad examples of faithfulness. The bad examples are those who have turned away from me in Asia. The bad examples are Phagellus and Hermogenes. These are bad examples of faithfulness. These people were unfaithful, unfaithful to me and ultimately unfaithful to Christ. But then he goes on to say, Timothy, but here is an example of faithfulness that I want you to remember. I want you to follow this man's example, Onesiphorus, who searched for me diligently until he found me, who often came and refreshed me, even put his life on the line in order to come and comfort me. This was a faithful man. And he says, follow his example. May the Lord grant us grace here at ARC to follow examples like men, like Onesiphorus, to be faithful, to be willing to identify with those in prison, to be willing to put our lives on the line, to love the brother and sisters, the brothers and sisters in Christ so much that we would be willing to die for the same gospel as they're willing to die for. Verse 18, it says, May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. And you well know all the service he rendered at Ephesus. That wording is so interesting to me. May the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. That's so interesting. I believe what's going on here is Paul is saying, may the Lord Jesus Christ grant him to find mercy from the Lord, God the Father, on that day. On the day when he stands in front of God and has to give an account for his life. Paul is bursting out in joy, thinking of Onesiphorus and says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. On that day. And notice how it says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy. What is so interesting about that is right before that, it talks about how Onesiphorus searched for Paul until he found him. (laughs) And then he says, may the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day, on that day. If you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, then you need a mercy that can only come from Christ. The fact that you're here this morning, and if you don't know Jesus, is God's mercy displayed towards you. No matter how long you've been living, if you've been living all of your days as an unbeliever, it's been the mercy of God displayed towards you that you haven't died in your sin and perished. But I want to let you know this morning that there is mercy for you, but that mercy is only found in Jesus Christ. For all the times that 
maybe things happen and you ex- it seemed like you escaped death, that was God's mercy. But the Bible says in Romans that this mercy is meant to lead you to repentance. It isn't meant for you to say, oh, I escaped that car accident. Or maybe someone who got shot, I got shot, but I didn't die. And you just continue to move on with your life. No, that mercy that was displayed towards you is meant to lead you to repentance, to turn from your sin, and to put your faith and trust in the perfect righteousness of Jesus Christ, who was crucified on a cross and crushed under the wrath of God. He was not shown mercy by God the Father so that we could be shown mercy in Christ. And the Bible tells us that we must turn from our sin and put our faith in this Christ who was crucified, crushed, buried, and rose. As it says in Timothy, abolishing death. <laughs> and he brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. If you don't know Jesus, I want to encourage you to surrender your life to the mercy found in Jesus. The mercy found in Christ. And on that day when you stand in front of God and have to give an account, you won't hear, depart from me for I never knew you. But you will hear on the basis of Christ and his perfect righteousness alone, enter into the joy of your master. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. For us who are in Jesus, that's what we're going to hear when it comes time for us to stand in front of God and give an account for our lives because of Jesus Christ. No matter what you have done, all of the sin you can think of because of Jesus' perfect righteousness, you will stand in front of the judge And on the basis of his righteousness alone, he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. So here's a question. Did Onesiphorus find mercy? Did he find the mercy that I just got finished talking about? The answer is yes. Matthew 5 says, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The mercy that oozed out of Onesiphorus into the life of Paul and into the life of so many others was the grace oozing out of Onesiphorus that was given to him by Christ. And blessed are the merciful, they shall receive mercy. The verse ends by saying this, and you know well all the service he rendered at Ephesus. This guy had a reputation of loving God's people. He had a reputation of serving willingly. He had a reputation of putting himself in the background and doing whatever he could to refresh saints like Paul. And the only reason why he was able to do that is because he had a transformed heart by the grace of God. Every act of service that is displayed through you 
is by the pure mercy and grace of God. Whatever love and affection you have for the saints, for the church, for Christ is by the pure mercy of God. And if you see those things at work in you, not perfectly, none of us are perfect by a long shot, but if you see that at work in you, you ought to praise God for his grace at work in your life. It's the evidence of the mercy that's been shown you. And because of this mercy, we will receive mercy when we stand in front of God and have to give an account for our lives. Lastly, Paul tells Timothy to hold fast, to guard the gospel. Notice he says, by the Holy Spirit. We can't do this in our own might. But I want you to know that as we're guarding the gospel, holding on to the gospel, holding on to God's truth, holding fast to his truth, there is ultimately one who's much stronger, much greater, who's holding on to us. As we hold fast, as we guard the good deposit, there is one who is guarding us. There is one who is holding fast to us. And that is God. That is God. So I'm going to close this in prayer, and then we're going to sing a song, He Will Hold Me Fast. And let's think of this God who is holding us and who will hold us to the end like Odysseus. And by God's grace, we will not end up like Phagellus and Hermogenes and those who turned away from the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father, none of us can boast in any good work that we see in our life. None of us can boast in any grace that we see in our life. It's by your grace alone. It's by your kindness alone. It's by your mercy alone that we are saved. It's by your mercy alone that we have continued in your grace. It's by your mercy and grace alone that we haven't turned away from Jesus. It's by your grace and mercy alone that we continue to turn to Jesus. Continue to come to church, to Bible study. Continue to read your word. Continue to pray. Continue to fellowship. Continue to love people. It's all by your grace. We can't boast in a single thing. Far be it from us to boast in anything else except for the cross of Jesus Christ to whom we've been crucified to the world and the world has been crucified to us. Father, we come to boast in the cross this morning, to boast in Christ this morning, to boast in Jesus this morning, to boast in your keeping grace, to boast in you who holds us fast. So, oh, Father, would you allow the grace that we see on the pages of Holy Scripture to keep us humble people. May we never become puffed up or arrogant by any work that you have done in us and through us. But may we know that it is by your sovereign grace alone that we are in Jesus. 
and help us to give you thanks day by day for this mercy, this love, this grace displayed towards us. Help us to live lives more like Onesiphorus. Many of us are doing that in this church. Would you pour out grace for us to do it more and more? Help us to be faithful saints, faithful to one another, and mainly faithful to you. We pray this in the name of your matchless son, Jesus Christ. Amen.